This morning, I wonder if these verses may be some of the most important verses in this epistle this morning. Certainly, all of the texts that we look at in this epistle are important, but here especially, because here we see one of the few texts that touch on the essential nature of God. There are a couple throughout the scripture, even the first test or the New Testament, that talk about who God is at his core. John 4, 24 says that God is truth. Romans 3, 30 says that God is a spirit. Hebrews 12, 29 says that God is a consuming fire. And this morning we see in John chapter 4, verses 7 through 12, that God is love. This speaks to the very nature of who God is. But it also speaks to the very nature of what love is. You see, love cannot be contrary to who God is because God, in His person and work, define love. And what John does for us here in our text is he shows us the demonstration and definition of what love is as he shows us how God loved us through the sending of his son. And so let us one more time go to the word of the Lord in prayer as he prepares our hearts for this text this morning. And we trust that the Lord will bring our attention to the things that he has for us in his word as we pray. Let us pray. Father, we are so thankful for your grace towards us. We're so thankful for this word. We're so thankful for what it means. Most assuredly, because it reveals to us how you loved us and therefore how we ought to love one another. What a marvelous thing it is for us that you reveal to us what love is in a world that is grasping for a definition, we find in your word the perfect definition, the true definition of what love is and what love looks like. And so, Father, this morning, would you impress it upon our hearts, we pray. And it is in your son's name that we pray. Amen. Now, before we read our text here in 1 John chapter 4, let me say that this passage is jam-packed with significance. There are many nuances that we could tease out of this text. So many theological intricacies. But this morning, I want to try and stick to the main thrust of the passage. And I believe that that thrust is quite clear for us. Brothers and sisters, we are called to love one another. And not just with any kind of love. But we are to love one another even as God has loved us. And so let's look at this text this morning, 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 through 12. And as we read it, I want you to note how many times the Apostle John here uses this word love. I've highlighted them for you in the bulletin insert if you'd like to follow along there. But 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 says this. Beloved, let us love one another, 
For love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. As we read, read through that text, I wonder if you took account of how many times John uses this word love. Well, if you did, you would find that he uses it 13 times in these mere five verses. From the initial command found in verse 7 to the final demonstration found in verse 12, John's overwhelming sentiment in this text is that we should love one another. And this is something, beloved, that John got from Jesus himself. Maybe you're familiar with Jesus' words in John chapter 13, verses 34 through 35, where Jesus says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Or how about John chapter 15, verse 12, where Jesus says this to his disciples, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Now, I'm not one to overstate things, but I think it is safe to say that love is the principal demonstration of the life of Christ in and through his followers. We have been looking in this passage of Scripture at how we might be able to determine where the Spirit of God is present. And if you recall, we've seen a number of those manifestations of the Spirit of God in the life of the believer. Let me just review them quickly. Remember, the Spirit of God manifests itself or clearly demonstrates itself in the saints doing righteous deeds, loving the brethren, which John repeats in our text this morning, assurance before the Father, the ability to identify false prophets, and last week we saw the Spirit's power present in those who have overcome the spirit of the world and who see Jesus Christ for who he is. And in 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 through 12, I think we have the greatest demonstration of all of the manifestations of the spirit. And it's not merely, beloved, that we ought to love one another. It's furthermore that we are to love one another even as Christ loved us. 
A love that is only possible as the Spirit of Christ lives within us and loves through us. People of that's the focus of this passage. And what John does for us here is he actually defines for us what love is. He doesn't leave us in the dark. He doesn't have us guess at the essential nature of love. He shows us what love is. You see, beloved, true love comes from God. And therefore, it is defined by God. True love is sourced in the eternal person of the Godhead. Notice what John does here in verses 7 through 8. He says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. And John goes on through the rest of this passage this morning, especially in verses 9 and 10, to define for us what that love is. And he makes two fundamental claims concerning the nature of love. Since love comes from God and is defined by God, we see that love then is defined in two principal ways. The first way this morning as we spend our time together in this text is that God's love acts. God's love acts. If you're following along in the insert in your bulletin, that's your first fill-in for this morning. As we see these two aspects of God's love, and therefore have a proper definition of what love is, the first thing that we see is that God's love acts. Notice it with me in verse 9. Verse 9 of our text says this. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. What we notice here in this text is that God's love is active. It has motion forward toward the object of its love. It is not something that stands afar off, but something that enters into our midst and sends relief so that we might live. It is like the Red Cross sending in a relief team after the destruction of a hurricane with food and supplies. You see, God's love does not sit, sit back and wait. God's love activates. It moves. It pursues. It sends. We see this in our text this morning as John says that God's love was manifested among us. And there's several things for us to note concerning this demonstration. The first is that it was demonstrated among us. This is a reference to the life of Christ as he lived among the disciples. And they were firsthand witnesses to his actions. 
You see, brothers and sisters, God's love was something that was tangible. It was something that the apostles had touched and heard and saw with their eyes. It is not as if Jesus remained in the heavens. No, he came down and humbled himself in order that he might walk among us and we might see his works and see his miracles among the people in the first century. You see, Jesus' love was something that was physically experienced. It was not something that was merely talked about or theorized. It was something that was actually acted out. And the reason they experienced it is because in love, God sent his son into the world. What I want you to notice about the grammar of this text are all the prepositional phrases that we find here. God's love was demonstrated among us. God sent his son into the world. We have life through him. These words show motion. They show activity. They show direction toward something. And what's amazing about God's love which we will learn more in our second point, but at least we notice here, is where God sends the Son. You see, secondly, we see that in God's active love, God sent His Son into the world. Now, that world is an important designation. You see, we've learned a lot about the world throughout this epistle. We've learned that the world is dead in their sin. Chapter 2, verse 2. We've learned that the world is captive to its lusts and its passions. Chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. We've learned that the world does not know God. Chapter 3, verse 1. We've known that the world hates those who belong to God. Chapter 3, verse 13. We know that the spirit of the Antichrist is in the world. Chapter 4, verse 3. We know that Satan is the ruler of this world, chapter 4, verse 4. And in John chapter 15, verse 18, we learn that the world hates us because it hated Jesus. And yet, beloved, God sends his son into the world. He sends his son into this sphere and among these people in order that he might die for them. You see, God's love is not merely active. God's love acts at great expense to itself. As we will learn, God sent his son into the world in order that he might be the propitiation for our sins, that he might die on the cross, that he might be able to take upon his own shoulders the death and the penalty that we deserve in order that we might have life. You see, God acted on behalf of those who had no desire or no desert for his benevolent actions, but God still acted. I want you to notice the third thing that we see in verse 9 that is characteristic of God's love. Not only does God act, not only does he act among those who are hostile at great personal expense to himself, 
but he also acts for our ultimate good. Notice the end or the goal of God's love in verse 9. 1 John chapter 4, verse 9 says, In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that, purpose statement, this is the end for which Christ was sent into the world so that we might live through him. You see, God's love isn't only active in demonstrating and in sending. It is active in what it actually accomplishes. God loves us. And he has clearly demonstrated that love among us by sending his son so that we might live. You see, love always works for the ultimate good of the one to whom it loves. And what we find in our text is that the ultimate good for us is spiritual life and spiritual resurrection. This morning, we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we know that because he has been resurrected, beloved, we too can be resurrected as well. You see, love acts, and it acts to secure what's best for the one being loved. Now, in our world, it is important for us to properly identify what is best. You see, the voices around us are replete, telling us what is good and what is proper. And the world has an awfully distorted view of what is best. You see, the world's love is often self-focused. You see, in the world, we love for what we might get out of it. But we have to understand this morning that the world does not define what is good. God defines what is good. And what is best is that which brings life. What is best is that which instills a motivation towards godliness. And what we learn in our text is that that life and godliness is often secured through hard and humbling circumstances. What we learn in our text is that life most certainly comes through death. Jesus says in John chapter 12, verse 24, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Jesus obviously is referencing his death on the cross and his resurrection and those who would follow after him as they trust in him. And so what we notice in our text is that life came through the incarnation and crucifixion and even the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. That through Christ's humility and death, he secured life. We began to expound this on Friday night in our good Friday service. That the crucifixion had to take place in order that the resurrection might take place three days later. You see, life comes through 
just. And so true love is compelled to move toward the recipient of its affection, to secure for it that which is best. And beloved, often that which is best does not come easy. Often what is best takes discipline and long-suffering and endurance. Our culture tells us that love is all about feelings and desires, that love should come easy. But this is not a biblical definition of love. Love secures life for the one being loved, and that life often comes through death. Death to self, death to our own agenda, death to seeing our desires fulfilled. In love, God committed himself to mankind to secure that which is best for humanity. And he did so through the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ. In love, God sent Jesus to die the death that we deserved in order that we might live the life that we do not. And so what we see this morning in our text, first and foremost, is that God's love acts. But there's a second thing that we see in our text for this morning, and it's your second fill-in if you're following along in the bulletin insert. Not only is God's love active, not only does it take action on behalf of the one that it loves, but it also initiates. Notice it with me in verse 10 of 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4 verse 10 says this, In this is love. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, it's important that we see the contrast in these verses. And that contrast is marked by that conjunction, but. You see, it's not that we loved God but instead that God loved us. This is at the essential, this is at the center of who God is and how he loves. You see, God's willingness to love did not come from our worthiness to be loved. You see, the willingness to love comes from the giver. And not from the recipient. If I were to say I love you because you are beautiful. Or I love you because you are rich. Or I love you because you are popular. Or I love you because you fill in the blank. This is a contradiction in the essence of love. True love is moved by a desire to be benevolent to the one who is being loved. And not their reception or even their desire for it. God did not love us because there was something inherent within us to be loved. God loves us because God is love. Love is found in his nature and not in his response to our nature. 
You see, our natures are constantly opposed to God, and we reject Him at every turn. And so if love was to be given as a response to the one who is being loved, then we would never be loved. You see, God did not wait for us to love Him before He showered upon us His love and His grace. On the contrary, God showed His love to us, Romans 5, 8, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Proper love is not motivated by the desert of the one being loved or even the desire to be loved. Because love initiates the act of love out of its own capacity to love and to do good to our neighbors. What we learn in our text and in many others, beloved, is that we are not worthy of God's love. On the contrary, we deserve the very opposite. We deserve God's wrath. But the hostility of the one to be loved did not deter God from securing that which we needed most. The aversion of the one to be loved did not keep God from acting on our behalf. It's not that we loved God, but rather that God loved us. And he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. You see, God loves acts and God's love initiates. And how instructive is this for us, brothers and sisters? You see, so often we sit around and wait for an opportunity to love. But if what John is telling us here is true, then that is the very that is contrary to the very nature of of God and the love that he exercises towards us. You see God did not wait for us. Instead, he acted. He sent his son for us. And this is how God works. And we see it throughout the whole of the Bible. Think about Adam and Abraham and Moses and the prophets and the apostles. Even us in our own salvation. God didn't sit back and wait for Adam to come to him. No, he searched for him in the cool of the day. God did not sit back and wait for Abraham to just end up in the promised land. No, he sought out for him and he called him to be his chosen vessel. God did not sit back and wait for Moses to go back to Egypt. No, when Moses was minding his own business, tending to his flock, God appeared to him in a burning bush. And God did not wait for Israel to be extinguished by the Egyptians. He sent Moses to be their deliverer. And so on and so on. You see, like the good shepherd, Jesus goes out and searches for the lost sheep. Like the good shepherd, Jesus leaves the 99 in order to go out and find that one who is wandering and lost. Like the good shepherd, when he finds that sheep, he rejoices. And he places that sheep upon his shoulders and he brings him back to the fold. You see, God's love initiates. 
God's love does for us what we could never do from our, for ourselves. This is a proper definition of love. Love acts and love initiates. But this is not the final word from John on this topic. You see, since we have the Spirit of God, since the Spirit of God lives within those who believe, we should love even as God loved us. Which means then that our love must act for the ultimate well-being of the ones whom we love and that our love should initiate those actions out of God's love in us for those around us. Notice what John says in verses 11 through 12 in our passage for this morning. He says, Beloved, if God so loved us, and He did, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and His love is perfected in us. Essentially, what John's saying here is that the end goal of God's love for us is that we would love one another. That the principal demonstration of God's love, even to the world around us, is our love for one another. As we identify with the Spirit of Christ within us, and as we seek to see His love in and through us to those around us, we demonstrate to all around us the love of Christ. Beloved, look around this morning. The question that we should be asking ourselves in response to this sermon is how is God calling us to love our brothers and sisters in Christ? How is God calling us to act on their behalf for their ultimate good? How is God calling us to initiate with them, to search them out, to do good to them? What might it look like even as we live together and worship together and serve together and fellowship together and even go out into the world together? How might we come together to love one another even as Christ has, has loved us? How might we be proactive to consider the hardships and sufferings of our fellow believers in Christ? How might we, with all the varied gifts that God has so graciously given to us, use them to bless those around us? God is calling us to love this morning. And not just any ordinary love. And certainly not as the world defines love. But he is calling us to love even as he has loved us. He is calling us to act. He is calling us to initiate. He is calling us to use those gifts that he has given to us to bless those around us. And even as we think of this Resurrection Sunday, we know and believe that the reason we can do this is because God has raised us from the dead. The reason we can do this is because the Spirit of Christ lives in us. What a blessed reality it is that we celebrate this morning. 
May God continue to use each one of us as we seek to love one another and then take that love into the world. If you're being baptized this morning, you are welcome to make your way downstairs as we close in a word of prayer and as we call the music team up this morning to sing our last song of response. Let us pray together.